The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. I see. Mm-hmm. That's one option. What might be another? Can you go with that? How did that work out for you? Do you anticipate that that could happen? What? We're on the air. Oh, I didn't see that. I, I missed the clock there. All I was doing was some some stretching exercises. And everybody tells you when you're going to embark upon a strenuous course, and which is what I'm going to do for the next hour, you can't just jump into it. You have to stretch, loosen up, get into the mojo of the whole hour. So I was just kind of uh, practicing a little bit. Uh, when I am in therapy... Uh, I I've toyed with charging not by the hour, but by the phrase. For example, mm-hmm. That's really kind of a, a it's it's a minute sort of affirmation. Maybe a dime, dime for that. Some something like, uh, well, that was a very good, thoughtful way to handle that. Now that's a buck, maybe a buck, buck and a half. If you say something like, uh, you could have thought that through a little better, that's you lose 25, 25 cents. So I, I was toying with that, and I, I don't know how well that will be taken. Uh, right now, I'm probably just hanging with uh, by the hour. Now here on The Doctor is In, there is no charge by the hour. And that's good news and bad news. One, you could get what you pay for. You pay nothing for it, you could get nothing. On the other hand, I can't do therapy here. So we can put our heads together, maybe come up with an idea or two, something to ponder for you just in the overall schemata of life. 877-573-7825. 877-57-EQUAL is the number to call. Get on to the program if you have a question about yourself, someone else, circumstance, perhaps your faith as it mingles with your life or your psychological well-being, anything like that. I was just informed this morning by a number of folks at EWTN that a dear woman very dear woman, at EWTN, Lee South, passed away unexpectedly. Yesterday, 
perhaps the day before, might have been two days ago, she emailed me, business as usual. She's she's navigated me through so many things at EWTN, always with a, a sweetness, a gentleness of soul. It was sudden. She went to the emergency room and had passed away not more than 12 hours later. 27 years she was with EWTN. Everybody that I've talked to had nothing but the warmest words to say about her. So, if you're in the habit of praying for EWTN and the people there, mention Lee South by name. All the folks praying for that dear lady. She could shoot right straight through to heaven. Because if if I'm guessing, I'm guessing she's heaven bound. And uh, I don't even know how much time she would need for purification. Maybe very little. Maybe none. I don't know. But your prayers would be wonderful for that dear lady. Lee South. Rest in peace. Are you familiar with a Russian physiologist named Pavlov? I've talked about Pavlov here number of times and have repeated the same stale joke. But I'm a dad, and we dads repeat the same stale dad jokes. I think that's part of the reason why we keep having kids. New audiences. You know, when my son Andrew was 16 and his brothers and sisters were under 10, well, Andrew didn't really want to hear any of my dad jokes because he'd heard them all and many times and he didn't think they were cool. But the five-year-old, the eight-year-old, they busted up. So does the name Pavlov ring a bell? Now, you have to have a certain amount of uh, general knowledge to get that joke Pavlov is known, he, he did a, a bunch of things, but, but he's known for experiments he did with dogs. And he was probably considered the father of classical conditioning. Classical conditioning is a term in behavior psychology. That means, and it's, it's a very powerful form of learning, you can attach certain physiological reactions to just about anything if you keep pairing it that way. Pavlov gave food to dogs, but immediately prior to the food, about half a second, that seems to be the the dominant, most effective link from the conditioned stimulus, to the actual stimulus. In other words, the bell rang a half a second before the dogs got their food. Now, the food alone stimulated the dogs to salivate, obviously. I don't know quite exactly how Pavlov measured that. But then he rang a bell. After a number of pairings, and it depends, probably depends upon the dog, probably depends upon the, the level of hunger, a whole bunch of things. But pretty soon, the bell alone 
elicited the response in the dogs, the salivation. And I was thinking about this at Mass. Yeah, I know it. I have to keep bringing my attention back to the Mass because my mind just wanders fast. What stimulated me to think about that, I bring my phone in. Heck, you don't want to have your phone more than a foot and a half away from you, do you? And I put it on vibrate. Once I forgot, oh, is that embarrassing? But I got my wife there. Ray, is your phone on vibrate? Yes. And I felt it vibrate in my pocket. This was during the homily. I felt the urge to check that phone. Why? Because the vibration of the phone in my pocket, when I am able to go to it, has something, a message, a request, a relative telling me something. There's information coming in on that phone. To tap into the example today is that a couple folks from EWTN texted me about Lee's passing. That's important information. And I saw how powerful it was when that thing vibrated in my pocket. How hard it was to resist it. I didn't go there. But there was a part of me that said, well, you know, maybe maybe there'll be a, a, a time that, that, I, that I can check and see what that said. Now, there's two reasons I didn't. One, terribly disrespectful to the precious sacrifice of the Mass. And two, my wife would have smacked me upside the head. It, a matter of fact, that's kind of classical conditioning. Because when I take that phone out when I'm not supposed to, she smacks me upside the head. Well, now, when I take the phone out when I'm not supposed to, and she's not there, I cringe. Just an autonomic response. It's a reflex. And I got thinking about that, and there are studies that now say the chime of a phone, the ding, or or whatever it is that you put onto that phone to let you know a message has come in, grabs you those of you listening all 184 of you you've seen it with your friends your relatives your kids right you'll be having a conversation you'll be somewhere and they'll turn and bring out their phone or look at their phone or pick up their phone why because they got a signal that something came in and they just couldn't not Check it out. The phones have classically conditioned us. Listen to me. Listen to me. Pick me up. Now. I'm ordering you. That hit me hard. When I'm at mass, the most important thing I do, and I had to control myself it, it wasn't a matter of eh phone buzz i'll check it later it was a matter of wonder what that was wonder why i'm getting one now 
And and if some of my kids realize mom and I are at mass, they, they're not going to buzz us unless unless it's an emergency. Uh-huh. Classical conditioning. Pavlov sounded the bell. The phone sounds the bell. 877-573-7825. 877-57-EQUAL. That is the number to call to get onto the program. I would very much want to hear from you. Thank you. The doctor is in. Now, don't you feel better? Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. In a Facebook world, we can multiply virtual friends, and yet psychologists and sociologists tell us we have fewer and fewer actual friends. This is not good. We're made for friendship. Friendship with God, first of all, but secondarily, friendship with other human beings. Jesus calls his apostles friends. And when he faces his greatest suffering, he asks his inner circle of friends to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come, but they fall asleep. Jesus isn't crushed when his friends fail to live up to his expectations. He doesn't withhold his love from them. He doesn't cast them away. Nor does he suffer their neglect silently. He confronts them. Couldn't you have prayed with me for an hour? Then he moves on to do the will of his Father in heaven. When friends let us down, as they will, we should follow the example of Jesus, lovingly confront them, but remember that they can never substitute for God, who stands ready as our ultimate friend. Cresta in the Afternoon weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. I want you to have such confidence in the Lord that you'll find such hope and see the beauty of the Lord, the majesty of God. What did our Lord say, huh? If your sins are as scarlet, oh, what? What's going to happen? They shall be made white as snow. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Dr. Ray here on the program. The Doctor is in. Co-production of a Maria Radio Communications and the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Mother Angelica sent programming way back 20-some years ago to the stations, and there were only a handful of them. She said, give them the programming for free. And more and more stations took advantage of it and grew and added their own programming from every direction, and Ave provides all kinds of programming. And now you've got some 400-plus stations domestically and 500-plus worldwide on the overall EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network, which is composed of an awful lot of very potent, powerful, otherwise networks that have just grown and grown and grown and grown. Guadalupe, I I first talked to them many, many years ago. I think it was at at, uh, Mid... Mid... What's the name? Midway, Texas? Is that right? 
mid. I'm blanking on it, guys. Sorry, Guadalupe. But I think it was your first banquet. How many stations you got now? 40? You guys are impressive. And as as well as places like Covenant and uh, Spirit, Ave, it's just, just so many. A uh, couple of things. One, the lines are quiet, and that usually doesn't happen. Although, I notice January is typically a quiet time for everything. Uh, the book sales on the website bookstore decline during January. That's why we're offering some nice nice options here. Um, it's very quiet. Things are quiet. The speaking engagements are quiet. Things are very slow. So if you want to call, get in, because I get a lot of people emailing me saying, I tried to call, but I couldn't get in. Well, you can get in. It's not that hard to get in. We got We got nine lines. All right, so it's easily enough to get in. 877-57-EQUAL is the number to call to get on to the program. Now, I only got a few more days of doing this, so I won't be uh, beating this drum too much. Midland, that's right, Dave. Thank you, Dave Palmer, from down there in Dallas where we've run the show a couple of times, both times to fantastic audiences, great place, Glenbeck Studios. Midland, Texas, that's right. You know what that's called, Dave? That's called lethologica. It means the inability to recall a name or person. And that's happening more and more. When I was 40, my memory was a 40 to 50 hour a week secretary. As I got older, 50, she went part-time. When I hit 60... She retired. (laughs) So I do want to mention this. We will be going for the first time, first time in 14 years of Living Right with Dr. Ray. We will be going to Birmingham, the EWTN Studios. It will be January 16th, God willing. We're going to do four TV tapings, and we'll have some wonderful guests, and we will have a lot of the EWTN personalities there. We're setting them up. We want to talk to them. So given that, if you'd like to be part of the audience, and I know, Dave, if you're listening, Dick has just told me that you invited us back down again. We don't want to, we don't want to wear out our welcome down here in the Dallas area, but every time we come down, you, uh, you beat the bushes. You get a lot of people there. But we will be at the EW10 Studios in Birmingham for four shows, January 16th. Very much like a big audience the big audience people somebody commented just recently i was we were in wichita and our producer's wife dick russ his wife chris said i can tell ray when he has a big audience the energy level is much higher and it's true it is when you when you get 70 80 90 people in that audience it's a lot of fun they ask questions so if you would like to be part of it. I know the Quest in Atlanta says, okay, we're going to start really inviting people and our affiliate in Birmingham. And it depends how far you want to drive. We have affiliates kind of scattered around a 100, 150-mile radius down that way. Go to EWTN, that's easy enough, isn't it, dot com forward slash DR Ray Live, Dr. Ray Live. And there's four shows listed, 9, 10, 30, 1, 2, 30. Come to 1, you come to 2, you come to 3, you come to 4. If you get bored with me, leave. Go tour the EWTN beautiful grounds. Go to the wonderful chapel where you see the mass. Go outside. Go into the bookstore. They've got all kinds of neat stuff there. 
No pictures of me anywhere, though. Not one, which is a little upset. A little upsetting. Okay, so I'd love to have you, and, and I'm, I'm going to push hard. So, thank you. Uh, Tony from uh, Sioux City, Iowa. Hello, Tony. Hey, Dr. Ray. I just had a question I've been meaning to ask you for kind of a long time. I, I think I'd heard you maybe mention in the past that uh, in, in the, the Catholic world here in the U.S., anyway, uh, sometimes it's difficult for uh, uh, growing, uh, you know, later teenage year uh, girls and young women in their 20s to find a uh, a good faithful catholic uh boy or man to to date uh that that it can made it sound maybe like that in that age group maybe when you know somebody's 19 22 24 that there uh, is kind of a shortage of, of faithful catholic young men for these faithful catholic young women and i was curious if if that if you think that is the case if i'm kind of uh, uh, summarizing what you said correctly, and if so, why that is, what the dynamic is, like why so many uh, young Catholic men maybe are not staying as faithful or as uh, engaged in their faith as young women. Tony, your instincts are supported by surveys. Uh, at all age groups, women are more active in the church, are more religiously inclined than men. And that is not only true with Catholics, that is true with pretty much all Christian denominations. You know the one place <laughs> you know the one place that's different and you could expect it to be different? Islam. Islam and it's uh, the way that it teaches is more appealing to young men than young women. But Christianity, you're absolutely correct. Now, I don't think that is the only factor, Tony. First of all, I think the age of first marriage, the age of marriage, has really gotten late. I think it's up around uh, 20, 28, 29 for men, 30 for women, uh, mid, late 20s too. So it's really gotten late. Secondly, more young people under age 35 are living together than are married. Third, a young woman who wants to stay faithful to her Lord and be celibate, save herself for marriage, is going to have a much, much, much harder time because guys, once they were separated from having to win over the affections of a woman in a good and proper way, once that happened, once they got separated from that with the sexual revolution and the secularism and the total decline of morals, they guys have kind of run wild. They really have. So for a girl to find a guy that hasn't is much less likely. My son shared a statistic with me. I'll ask you to guess on it, Tony. What percentage of young people now enter marriage as virgins? Oh gosh, I I wonder if it would even be as high as two or three percent in the U.S. You're right; it's three. Wow, three percent. So, given that the the whole decay in the way that things were done, at least in our culture, for for quite some time, 
has made it so that to find someone, especially if you are a faith-filled young person, to find someone who thinks like you, extremely difficult. I know an awful lot of young women now moving into their 30s, even into their 40s, who are so wishing they could meet someone, but it's so difficult now. I look at my aunts and uncles. My aunts and uncles had uh, six, six pairs of aunts and uncles. Every single one of them married someone who was a Catholic and lived their lives. There was no divorces. They lived their lives with a Catholic. I look at my nieces and nephews, and uh, that record is, oh, man, oh, maybe maybe 20%. May- maybe, maybe. So you're right on, Tony. But I think there's other factors surrounding it. Are we always obliged to obey our conscience? The Catholic Catechism asserts that we are always obliged to obey the certain judgment of our conscience, and that if we deliberately act against a good conscience, we condemn ourselves. On the other hand, our moral conscience may remain in ignorance, and thus we can make erroneous judgments about acts performed in the future or those performed in the past. If ignorance is caused by personal responsibility or negligence, we are culpable of the sin we commit. Some of the causes of erroneous judgment can be ignorance of Christ and his gospel, bad examples of peers, enslavement to one's passion, rejection of the church's authority and her teaching, lack of conversion and lack of charity. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. There's so many issues that need to be discussed when we're looking at this continuing problem of mass shootings. At the heart of it is what's going on with the human person, though. Father John Mercado brings up deaths of despair in great detail in his beautiful Rescue Project series. Or so many young people now, or with that survey pre-COVID, We're talking about how desperate they felt, how lonely they felt, how isolated they felt, how suicidal they felt. And then we had a recent survey come out from the CDC looking at a similar case with young girls and this feeling of desperation and loneliness that despite everything they had access to and what they could do with their bodies, this so-called freedom, the world's version of freedom that shoved down our throats every single day, they're still not happy. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. You know, every time I hear music like that, especially at weddings, if they ever play a music, they don't play that music at weddings. They play the chicken dance and they play what, what those songs that you all dance to in a group, Macarena. But every time I hear something like that, I feel like jumping out on the dance floor and just dancing. But after about eight seconds, I look around me, and I have become the old uncool guy on the dance floor where I used to think, what's he doing out there? And I know those people are thinking, what's he doing out there? Speaking of brain and interpretation, Dale is calling from uh, minnesota and he (laughs) dale this reminds me of the joke when 
Somebody asked me what I thought was the most important organ in the body, and I said, well, I think it's the brain, until I realized it was the brain telling me that. Hi, Dale. <laughs> Good afternoon. I got one short comment. You must yes. have made a New Year's resolution because I haven't heard you pick on Teresa Tamio this year yet. I so did I make. Just thought, well, maybe you. Dale, you're right. I did make that resolution, but it's not going to last more than a couple more days. <laughs> okay. It's it was a time limited resolution. I said I'm going to resolve for the next week not to do that. I'll pray for you on that one. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right, so you so, got uh, you, you got my, a pretty good I, question here. I want well, I wondered if you just um, uh, comment. Uh, you probably have already, you know, passed. But if you'd listen more, you'd know that, use. Dale. If you'd listen more regularly, you would know that. You wouldn't have to guess. <laughs> Hey, I listen as often as I can. I'll put it that way. I just thought we got depression in the family, and you get, okay, it's the same brain, the same organ you're trying to figure things out with that's giving you the trouble. So I thought, well, maybe you'd have a comment on that or something. If you, if you divide it into two very broad categories, Dale, you got, I'm going to use old terms. You have endogenous and exogenous depression. Endogenous basically refers to a biochemical or physiological process going on in the body that is causing the depression. Exogenous means there are life circumstances and the way people interpret these life circumstances or they interpret their life in general that is causing the depression so you're absolutely right let's just take it from the perspective of the brain's thinking can cause a lot of depression and you say well how does that make any sense then that the organ that is causing the depression is the one we want to use to fix the depression right that's the catch-22 that's the catch. Yes, sir. Okay. Here's here's the answer. Because you can use the brain to think differently. If, for example, I have a father-in-law who bothers me terribly and when he comes around, I'm I'm just I go into a funk. Just go into a funk. I don't want him around. But it turns out that's my wife's father. She has a decent relationship with him. So it behooves me to try to get along with the guy. Now, there's two ways to think about this. On one hand, my brain is telling me, ah, he's unlikable. I shouldn't have to put up with this. Why do I have to deal with this? I don't know how much longer I can take his cracks. That's one part of my brain. But the other part of my brain is saying, Ray, why is it bothering you so much? Why can't you let it go in one ear and out the other? Why are you taking it personally? Isn't it better to get along with him for your wife's sake? So the very same brain that is causing the bad thinking, the stinking thinking, as Albert Ellis used to call it, is the same brain that can cause better thinking. That's how that works. Did I just solve your catch-22? Well... 
That's what we've been doing. Most of us do take a medicine pill. Uh, I don't know. I've taken it for 30 years probably. So after this much time, you go, well, is it doing its job, or am I just getting better, or, you know, don't really know. But uh, the, yeah, I, the think, I think you're right. It is uh, you got to make a decision to change it. Most depression, when it, when it, Dale, most depression will respond to better ways of thinking. Most. Not all. Some respond very well to medication, but that's a minority of depressions. The majority of people's discontent, unhappiness, and in the extreme, depression in life is caused by the way they make decisions, the way they interpret those decisions, the way they interpret other people, the way they look at themselves. A whole cadre of thinking processes that can bring them way down. Yeah. Okay. When I used to when I used to work, I used to work at the nursing home and I would do evaluations. And every so often, Dale, we'd get somebody in there who had a very serious accident. Serious. Maybe a motorcycle accident. And and this individual was going to be paralyzed. The reaction of the different people to that event, on one hand, you could have somebody on the edge of suicide. And on the other hand, you had someone, though devastated, was ready to to move forward and make whatever they could out of this new deck of cards that they were dealt. Exact same situation. One, yeah. one was going to collapse, and the other one was probably going to do very well to move forward, given those tragic circumstances. So th- that's that's really the power of how you look at things. All right, that my makes friend. Sense. God bless you. You already got me on the right on the right track. Thank you, sir. All righty, you're welcome. See that, Andrew? You see that? That was a bumper. You already got me on the right track. That's a bumper. He he doesn't he doesn't pick those bumpers that are the good ones. He picks the ones that aren't so good. Now we got some good questions up there. I'm going to get to every one of you. Please don't go away. We got plenty of time left. Eight seven seven fifty seven equal is the number to call to get onto the program. Is there anything else I want to say? Because I've only got about forty seconds here. I don't want to pick up a call. Dale said he was on meds for thirty years. Uh, there's some rather unsettling studies about medication and its effects on depression. It can be near miraculous if that depression is biochemically based and significantly biochemically based. You can always make the argument that, well, everything's ultimately biochemically based because that's how the brain operates and the way you think can set into motion certain certain pathways in the brain. I, I got that. But the effectiveness of antidepressant medication, when they have done meta-analyses, the large studies, they said, okay, let's take a look at all of them. Let's try to see what we can conclude. The effectiveness of antidepressant medication over and above placebo, over and above placebo, the placebo effect for antidepressant medication is very high, is not is not real encouraging. And it wouldn't be, that's not that surprising because if there is no biochemical, hard biochemical basis for this, then what is being changed by the drug 
is maybe not necessarily tackling the actual source of the depression. The Call, A Call from God. Father Mitch Pacwa shares his experience. I certainly had a bit of opposition. My father wasn't pleased with this at all, and he kept arguing with me. Once when I was 12, he said to me, what do you want to be a priest for? Why don't you be a doctor? You don't have to be a priest to help people. You can be a doctor and get married, have kids. And I said to him then, Dad, if I was a doctor and I help people get better, that would be very good. But later on, they're going to die anyway. So if I'm a priest and I hear somebody's confession and they go to heaven, that lasts forever. So that's better. And he didn't know what to say. And he continued to oppose the idea over the next years. Yet that didn't stop me. And uh, even when he said, I'm going to disinherit you if you become a priest. And on the day of my first mass, he did. But as I also said to him then, he told me, okay, you're out of my will. I said, Dad, I can't keep it anyway. It doesn't matter. I'm a Jesuit, and we can't keep the money, so it really doesn't affect me. The issue is I'm trying to follow what God, our Lord, is asking of me. And this has been where I have found the greatest joy, that doing what I believe through my own prayer and through reflection and thinking about it and moving from a little boy's idea of what a priest would be like all the way to now in my early 50s, you know, realizing that this is exactly what I think is going to please God the most. And that's what I want to do, to please God. For information on the priesthood or religious life, log on to www.ewtn.com slash religious life. I don't know why you left. I'm always curious as to why people do that. They will call. And some folks have uh, incredible durability in staying on the line. And others either have to go. Maybe they were in the car and they got to where they were going. Or the actual cell phone signal dropped. Or they said, ah, I've waited long enough. I always wondered about that. Who knows? I'd like to take a survey on that. Uh, Hugo from uh, Houston, Texas, Guadalupe. Hi, Hugo. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, good morning, Dr. Ray. Good afternoon, I think. Um, I have a beautiful, wonderful uh, two-year-old that is also strong-willed. And uh, my wife and I want to get into reading uh, the books you've written that have to uh, deal with, uh, I guess, trying to raise our child in a better, more Catholic way. But is there any order in which you recommend that we read the books, like one before the other? Well, Hugo, you have stumbled upon uh, one of the ways to uh, jump the line. Typically, uh, people go to the front of the line if they've been on the show in the past and didn't get on and they were at the end of the show still waiting. That's one way. Another way is that they disagree with me they disagree with me then they get put to the front because uh it usually makes for a a better call from a give and take perspective the third way is for someone to say how do i buy your books because i am really a money changer in the media temple here 
So, several things. Uh, one, I'm, first of all, I'm going to recommend the, the order of the books, but then I'm going to comment on something you said. The most popular book by far is called Discipline That Lasts a Lifetime. It is a hundred and some questions, most common questions I get from parents ages 2 to 18. About a third of the book is parental self-confidence and general authority. About a third of the book is questions under age 10. And about a third of the book is questions over age 10. There are four other parenting books. The second one that you might want to get, the teenage book is just coming out. It's being released this month. It's called Standing Strong, Good Discipline Makes Great Teens. That is just coming out. That's all the questions I get ages 10 and up on teenagers and adolescents. Uh, the other book that might be, I think, appealing to you. Now, the, the Winning the Discipline Debates right now is being uh, re-released, so it's not on the website. The other one is called Raising Upright Kids in an Upside-Down World. That is where I actually help parents recognize all the factors that are working against their parenting in the culture, socially, technologically, and how to counter them. So that's the second book. Uh, third, let's see, that, I got that, I got that. Those, those are the two. Those two probably would be most relevant to you, Hugo, for a two-year-old. Now, that said, you said something interesting. You said she's strong-willed. How do you know she's strong-willed, Hugo? Um, she knows what she wants. She knows what she doesn't want. Um, she wants things a certain way. She's very particular. You think that's um, unusual? And, um, well, from what I've heard, it's not. Uh, it's two-year-old. Yeah. Here's part of, you know, I've often wrestled, and this is one of the things I talk about in the book, too. I've often wrestled with why so many parents think their kid is strong-willed. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think one of the big ones has been this kind of osmotic suffusion I don't think that's a word, of the experts who convince parents that children are naturally cooperative. And if you speak to them in the right way, if you use the right and proper enlightened techniques, gentle parenting, then the children will hold your hand and sing Kumbaya. And when that doesn't happen, because Christianity says we're all born with a sin nature bent toward the self, when that doesn't happen, the most common thing people do is, well, they're strong-willed. Well, they're difficult. Well, they're seven gone on 17. Well, they're oppositional. Well, they're defiant. All of which can be very normal in kids, because that's who they are. And two-year-olds are really that way. If you got an easy one, well, I hope you don't. You know why, Hugo? I hope you don't get an easy kid. You know why that is? Why is that? Because it'll screw you up for the next kid. You'll think you're God's gift to parenthood. You won't move any of your knickknacks out of the way because she doesn't touch them. But then your second kid comes and eats your knickknacks. So, given that, those are the two books I would suggest. And and I think that when you say she certainly wants things her way, well, yeah, uh, I would be surprised if she didn't. That's why she's got you as a parent. Hugo, thank you for the call, my friend. By the way, those books are on my website. You just go to dr.a.com. They're there, and they're signed, 
and I think they're they're pretty reasonably priced. Thank, right, thank, thank you, th- thank you, my friend. All righty, uh, I'm going to try to get another. One. I'm going to squeeze in another one here. Um, b- 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 let's go to Walt real quick. Walt's got a comment on a previous call. Uh, th- you know, there's a book written about this. Walt, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling, Walt. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I think that one of the reasons why young men aren't staying in the church is it's been chickified. You what do you mean by that? by that? Yeah, what do you mean? Well, uh, everything seems to be geared toward the women and the girls. I mean, it used to be, when I was growing up, that the only persons that served at the altar were males, uh, including, you know, the people that, the acolytes. And then, in the 80s and the 90s, there was all this boo-ha, crying about how it's not fair to the girls, all that stuff. And it just, boys aren't, at that age, they're not tuned into, like, the beauty of girls. They just want boy things to do. And they want to have their own little club, as it were. And so everything that has been exclusively male, including most of the people on the altar for centuries were only males, has sort of been thrown to the wayside because apparently that was not, that was sexist or whatever. And it's just, it's a natural reaction to... Uh, isolating men. If there's nothing special about men, they just check out. There is. Um, there's a book. I forget the. I, I forget the title of it. Uh, somebody's probably going to email me here or text me. Uh, it talks about that, and not necessarily from a Catholic perspective. It talks about how women are very high profile in the functioning of the churches. They tend to lead the Bible studies. They tend to lead the groups. They tend to be the more volunteering. They tend to be higher attendance is women. Some of the some of the congregation are two-thirds to three-quarters women in the attending. One of the things I've noticed, Walt, and it's it, I, I, I can get in trouble for saying this, but so what? I'm getting sick of getting in trouble for saying stuff. If you notice right that a lot of the main lines, the ones who are struggling— to keep traditional Christian morality. They've sacrificed an awful lot of their perspective on traditional Christian morality and moved with the culture. A lot of them ordain women. Yep. Women women are generally more nurturant. They are generally softer in their approach to human relations. Uh, in a lot of ways, there's major differences between the way men approach things and the way women approach things. And in those denominations tend to be the older Protestant denominations who have ordained women, as they would call that. They also have become much more soft regarding what was traditional Christian morality. Yep. Um, so th- there is a certain there is a certain difference between men and women that our culture does not want to acknowledge. And in fact, if you acknowledge it, you're you're considered uh, maybe a Neanderthal throwback, but the research yep. is is overwhelming in that direction. Walt, thank you for the call, my friend. Appreciate it. This is Doctor Ray. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values 
Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I Can't Get No Satisfaction is a popular song, but it could be a summary of our life on earth. In the book of Genesis, we hear that we're made in the image and likeness of God. That means that we can know the truth and we can choose to do good to others. We can love. It comes to fulfillment in the Sermon on the Mount where we hear these Beatitudes. It's the standard of the Christian life. Jesus tells us that if we hear what he says and do what he tells us to do, we'll be like wise people who build our house on solid rock. But we make progress towards happiness and blessedness by our actions, and it starts with our interior disposition, what we want to choose. Do you and I hunger and thirst for those things that will lead us to happiness and to God? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Okay, I better get to it quick. You know, people ask me, do you do the program under stress? Yes, sometimes I do. I... I have my struggles. I'll give, I'll give you a classic example. This morning, before coming to the program, I reached into a box of chocolates that my sister-in-law got us, and I thought I was pulling out a, a, a peanut-coated, or chocolate-coated peanuts. Well, I just bit into it on a break. It's coconut. So right now I'm shook. But I'm here to deal with that kind of stress. Uh, 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 let's go to uh, Christina from Atlanta, Georgia. And the reason I'm going to Christina is because she's in the Quest area and she's going to come to the TV show. Aren't you, Christina? Oh, I guess I am. All right. <laughs> um, you want me yeah, to answer I'm your question? Was, you want me yeah, to answer I'm your question? You, you can help me figure out my mother-in-law. <laughs> you know your mother-in-law. Uh, I don't. I know. Um, I just got back from Christmas break, so it was a long week with my in-laws, and my mother-in-law is very intelligent, very faith-filled, um, but she's a terrible listener, and um, it's just a hard thing to be in someone's house that long when they just give you a lot of information, still info, but they never ask questions. She um, kind of self-absorbed. Something she like one-ups it or, you know, oh, this story. She's and, self-absorbed. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. She's a very good Catholic person, and I Well, that I doesn't mean she's got a I nice personality. <laughs> doesn't mean she's got a nice personality. Yeah. How long you been married? Um, almost 10 years. So she's been your mother-in-law for 10 years plus during the courtship time, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, she's a poor listener, right? Yes. All right, Christina, don't take this wrong. You're a poor okay. learner. 
I know. Because you know <laughs> what trying. she's like. Why is she still getting to you? I know. You, I was expecting you to say, just don't take it personally. So well, I'm just trying to figure out how to not do that. It's easy. It's okay. easy. You, you forgive the trait. In other words, okay. the trait of my mother-in-law is she's only really concerned about what she has to say, and she doesn't really show a whole lot of interest in anything I have to say or even in my life. That's her trait. Okay. That's her style. That's a pattern. Okay. Uh-huh. So rather than gearing yourself up to forgive every single time she does that, which is hard to do, mm-hmm. it's repetitive, mm-hmm. say to yourself, I'm going to work hard on forgiving that trait about her. Okay. Trait forgiveness mm-hmm. is much better because it covers a blanket of sins. When you let her get to you like that, I had a friend like that. Everything you told him, he had something better. He knew somebody better. He knew something more important. He knew that you could predict it. You could predict mm-hmm. it. You could say mm-hmm. this, and he's going to go this plus two sixes. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. I just realized that was him. <laughs> I gotcha. All right, I'll try that. I just needed a fresh perspective because I know what I'm doing isn't just, working. Trait forgiveness. Okay, I'll try that. Thank you. All righty, dear. Thank you. Uh, We've got a real quick question here. I don't know how much more do you have time, but this uh, gentleman, maybe I'll have him call back. Hello there, sir. You are calling from Ohio. Your 25-year-old son living at home. How are you? I'm fine, doctor. Thank you very much. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it. I always enjoy listening to your show. Um, yeah, let me just tell you real quick. I know we're short on time a little bit about him. Um, he's uh, very smart, very strong willed, very witty, very verbal, always a quick thinker, quick comeback on anything you say that's contrary. He defends his borders very, very, uh, vigorously. Um, he, he graduated from, from college with, uh, Actually, a psychology degree. Oh, you, he was doing ago. good there for a while, and, in my eyes. And, and and he couldn't get a job in his field during COVID. And uh, um, so now he works in construction outside. He's not happy with the job. Uh, his mom and I, you know, want him to get a some kind of professional uh, uh, job. He wants to also and or change his career, you know. I mean, he doesn't have to stay in that. Can't but, do much with uh, a bachelor's in psychology. Right. So so the concern is is just, you know, he works, you know, he works 40 hours a week. He goes overseas his girlfriend. He comes home, doesn't do much around the house, doesn't take care of his uh, premises, his, his room. His you charge like him that. rent? He, you charge him rent? No, that's that's one of the things I wanted to ask ask because others tell me that I should ask him to find his own place. But if I do that, he just might go with his girlfriend and, and call spends, me back. But here's my enough. here's here's my one quick suggestion: you can charge him rent on a sliding fee scale, depending upon his level of cooperation, his level of initiative. You can rent the place for more or less. Call me back, sir. This is Dr. Ray. Thanks so much for joining me. Walk with God. He doesn't charge you anything to do that. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. 
The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 